uh, for a moment, a food that you absolutely crave. That when you know you're going to eat it, you just can't wait. You think about it all the time. You know that once you start to taste it, you just want to eat little bites of it so you could have all of that just in your mouth and know how good that food really is. You have that food in mind? Maybe I'm just the weirdo. I think about food that way. I have my food, my favorite food right here. You ready for it? The one thing that I just love and I crave and I need all the time, I can't get enough of it. Manuela cookies. How many of you have ever had a Manuela cookie before? Yes. Who's never had a Manuela cookie before? Raise your hands. Okay, I'm going to throw you one so you can have one. Who else hasn't had one over here? Right over there? Okay, hopefully. Sorry if I hit you in the head. There you go. Who hasn't had one over here? Anybody over here? You ready for one? Okay, there you go. What about way over here? Who else hasn't had one? Way over there. I'm going to see if I can get one. Oh, I throw like a Pittsburgh Steeler. Sorry. It's one of the greatest cookies you'll ever have. Maybe the greatest. In fact, I would say, I'm not an expert on a lot of things, but I am an expert on chocolate chip cookies. I will tell you why this is number one, and it's not even close. First of all, look at the size of this thing. If I want a cookie, I want a big cookie. And this thing is huge. And it's soft. I'm in the soft cookie category. I don't want my cookie crunchy. I almost want it to be like a cookie dough consistency. This matches that. Amen. Thank you so much. The chocolate chips are just, there's just enough. You don't want too many, but you don't want uh, there to be none, none in there. You want just enough. That's exactly here. And then on top of it, there's this sea salt on it that is so amazing that when it hits your mouth, it truly feels like Jesus is in the room with you, like the true <laughs> Jesus is there. Mary, who's on our staff, and her husband Randy are the ones that make these, and they sell these all over the place. And Mary uh, serves on our women's team, but also was a volunteer um, administrative assistant for Todd and I. And sometimes there would be a cookie just waiting on my desk, and I knew that God was real because... <laughs> I was having a bad day, and there it was, and God was just reminding me that he loves me. I have to tell you, I desire these so much that I'm going to tell two embarrassing stories about myself, about with these cookies. First of all, one time I got a 12-pack of these cookies, and I told myself I am not going to eat any of them. So I went and put them in my freezer in the garage. And they were sitting there, and they were calling my name. I could hear, Eric, Eric, and I ignored the temptation. I went to bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night. And I thought to myself, you know, just one. Come on. So it's 3 in the morning. I'm in my pajamas. I'm not going to tell you what I'm wearing, but they're my pajamas. I go down the stairs into our cold garage, go out to the uh, freezer. I open it, and I start to eat one. And it was so good. But I thought, so, well, he has a brother, and his brother needs to go home with the other brother. So they ate two of them, two of these, three in the morning. And I walk up, back upstairs, and my wife wakes up. She goes, are you okay? I was like, no. She goes, what's wrong? I go, I have to confess something to you. She goes, what? I go, I just had two Manuela cookies at three in the morning. She's like, you need to go to bed, Okay. <laughs> We'll talk about this in the morning. The other thing that happened is uh, I serve on the Perkins School Board, and Mary knew I had a school board meeting that night, and so she goes, hey, uh, our superintendent hasn't tried our cookies, and I know he really wants to. Will you take a few cookies in him? I said, oh, absolutely. And so I put the cookies in my car, 
And as I'm driving there, again, they start to whisper my name, Eric. And then they whisper, he'll never know. I said, that's true. He doesn't know the cookies are coming. So it takes about five minutes to get to the high school from my house. I downed two of them again. And I get in there, and our superintendent says, hey, Eric, what's going on? I said, I ate your cookies. (laughs) He's like, what cookies? I'm like, I was supposed to bring you these Manuela cookies. I'm so sorry. I'll bring you more. But I ate them on the way here. And then I had to confess it to the Manuelas. And yes, this is how much I desire these cookies. Do not judge me. Anybody else want one? There it comes, right there. Oh, I desire them. I love them so much. I want them all the time. It's even hard not to eat one when they're right in this bag. But I was thinking to myself, why don't I desire God's word like that cookie? How come I don't wake up in the middle of the night and say, I need to read this thing because I know the substance that it has. I know how it will satisfy something beyond my sweet tooth that will satisfy my soul. Why don't I think about that and long for that? How come I, when I have a moment of free time, I don't just open this up? Why is it that we crave so many things in this world, whether it's food or sex or money or love or other things, and yet we don't crave the very thing that will satisfy us to its deepest core? It's funny, a lot of Americans have not just one Bible, but numerous Bibles, but oftentimes it's just collecting dust on the shelf. Or maybe you're like me and you have your Bible app on your phone, and yet that's probably one of the last things that you end up going to, and you're going to your social media apps, and you're going to your news apps, and you're playing your favorite game, but you're not going to God's word, the only thing that will truly satisfy your deepest longings. I want this next five weeks leading up to Easter to be one of those times where we look back at the chapel years and years later and say, you remember that time where our cravings shifted from something else to this, to God's word, that in the middle of the night when I woke up, I wanted to read it. In the, during the day, I wanted to read it. I wanted to meditate it. I wanted to listen to it. How can we do that together? Well, today we are kicking off a brand new message series called Psalm 119. It's on Psalm 119. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. So we're not going to study every verse, but we're going to look at numerous verses throughout Psalm 119, hoping that it will lead to a desire for us to know God and love his word and allow it to transform our lives forever. Now, when you look at Psalm 119, many people attribute it to David, who is the author of a lot of the Psalms. But Psalm 119, we don't know if it was David or not. But what we do know is how Psalm 119 was constructed. Whoops, let me go back here for a second. David Guzik says, It was likely written over some period of time and later compiled because there is not a definite flow of thought from the beginning of the psalm to the end. The sections and the verses are not like a chain where one link is connected to the other, but like a string of pearls where each pearl has equal but independent value. Now, Philip Henry in the 1700s knew the value that each pearl or each verse had in Psalm 119. And he knew that each verse could transform his family's life. And so what he ends up doing 
is with his children every morning, had them meditate on one verse from Psalm 119 every single day. When they got to day 176, they looked at that verse, and the next day they started over, and they were able to get through Psalm 119 twice in a year. And they would meditate on this verse, and meditate on this verse, and meditate on this verse. And Philip Henry ends up saying this. He says, this, he's talking to his kids, will bring you to be in love with all the rest of the scriptures. And it worked. Matthew Henry, which is Philip's son, went on to be a minister and also wrote a commentary on the entire Bible that many pastors today, and maybe you as well, consult to see what the Bible is saying about real life. He took his love for the word and now poured himself out so that people could know the word through his ministry. And what's so incredible is right away after he wrote that, people like John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, who are incredible people who transformed this world for Christianity, used Matthew Henry's commentary to do so. It can change us. It can transform us. We need to desire it and fall in love with it more than any other desires. So we can be just like Matthew Henry. You may not write a commentary, but you can help change the world through your love of the word. Now, one of those pearls that we want to look at this morning is Psalm 119, 105. This verse is going to be our theme verse for the year, or for the next five weeks, and it's going to be a memory verse that I'm hoping all of us will put to memory. And it goes like this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Would you say that with me? Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You sounded so good. Let's just do it one more time. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This verse not only will be our theme verse for the next five weeks, and we want to memorize it, hopefully as a church, help your kids, your grandkids memorize it as well, but it's going to be the topic of our message today. It starts with, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light. For my path. That phrase, your word, is the Hebrew word debar. Now, you will see all kinds of different Hebrew words described throughout Psalm 119 when it comes to describing God's word. In fact, God's word, or different variations of that word, is mentioned in at least 171 of 176 verses in Psalm 119. It is said that if God's trying to get your attention, he's going to repeat himself in his word. Well, when he repeats himself 171 times in 176 verses, this is a bright, shining light to you to say, look, this is important. And so as we go through this psalm throughout the next five weeks, you're going to see God's word repeated over and over and over again. It'll be in various Words like the law, word, judgments, testimonies, commandments, statutes, and precepts. All of which, when we know it and learn about it, it will transform our lives and help us grow more and more to be like Jesus. And, and the psalmist is so practical. This isn't just something that we just digest for knowledge. No, it should lead us to living a different life. That's why he says this, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. Now, that word lamp literally means candle or oil lamp. 
I have a candle up here right now that I'm going to light for us just to help you, under, I think so, help you understand kind of what this looks like. So here's a candle. And they would light a candle or light an oil lamp back in the psalmist's day because they didn't have electricity. And if they were to go around their homes at night, it was very, very dark. And so they would light a candle or light an oil lamp so they could see the very next step in front of them. Even if they were going on a journey, and many times they would travel at night because of the heat in the day, they would take an oil lamp or a candle and be able to see just enough to take a next step, and then a next step, and then a next step. Just enough light so they can see where they're going. Now for us, we have electricity, of course, and we don't necessarily need that. If we want to see, we can turn up the lights. If we want to be able to take a journey at night. We don't have to light a candle. We can just go into a car and turn on the headlights and be able to see where we're going. But I don't think you realize that there are ways that we still need to light a candle or maybe a flashlight to be able to move around. In fact, you're going to want to do that if you're a ninja. There are many ninjas in this room. Let me explain. You see, when... I put my kids to bed at night. I, Paul and I end up falling asleep in their room. And my kids going to sleep and staying asleep is the only sanity that I have <laughs> for the next little while until I go to sleep. I need that hour or two of alone time so that I can recalibrate and get ready for the next day. But my kids put all their stuff all over the floor. And even though we tell them to clean it up, they don't understand what the words clean up actually mean. There are toys and dolls. Last night, light bright. Remember light bright? These little light bright things all over the floor. Legos. It is a minefield in their rooms. And so parents, if you also understand this, trying to sneak out of your kid's room, you become a ninja, being as very quiet as you can, trying to navigate all of the debris in your way so that you don't wake up your kids so that you can get out of that room. And so what I do is, I don't have a candle, but I just light my flashlight. It's just enough room to kind of see where I'm going, and I jump over Legos and light bright toys and all these different things so I can get exactly where I need to be. When the psalmist talked about a candle, talked about an oil lamp, it was just enough light to be able to see the next step. It didn't illuminate the entire path, but it allowed you to know exactly where you're going, that next step of your journey, so that you can take it and then take the next one and then take the next one, take the next one. See, here at the chapel, that is our mission. We exist to help people move one step closer to God and each other. We take that very seriously. We believe that each person, no matter where they are in their faith in God, can take a next step towards him and towards other people. If you are here today and you would consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic or you're, you're seeking God, you are here today. And because you're here today, whether you want to be here or not, you've taken a next step. If you are a newer Christian and you are learning the Bible and you're growing in your faith, you have many next steps to take. 
Some of us in this room have been a Christian longer than I have been alive, but I can tell you, you're still not perfect, and because you're not perfect, you still can take another step forward to God and to another person until that moment that we take our last breath. We are all about taking next steps at the chapel, and the only way we can do that well is by one of our values, by obeying that, is that we depend on God, we depend on his word. It's not that we just read the word and we think it's important or it's nice to look at. We depend on it. We are needy upon it because it's this word that ends up lighting a candle or a flashlight or a lamp just to show us the next step that we ought to take. Because without it, I'm going to end up hitting potholes and ruining my life or end up going my own way and then I'm going to go into a ditch. I need enough light, not even just to know the end result, but just enough light to take the next step, to take the next step, and to take the next step. So my question to you this morning is this. Where in your life right now do you need the light of God's word to guide your next step? Regardless of if you look at God's word or not, you are going to make emotional and physical and relational and spiritual decisions, multiple decisions, every single day. You don't have to consult God's word, but you're going to consult something in order to make those decisions. Whether you consult somebody else, whether you just consult yourself, whether you go on Google, or you can go to God's word, you're going to make a next step in your life today, multiple ones. Maybe there's a next step you need to take in your marriage. Things are not going well. You can make that decision by listening to your friends or, or listening to your parents, and they may be helpful, but what if what they have to say is different than what this says? It may help you just take that next step to keep you holding on, and then God could guide you the rest of the way. Maybe it's a financial decision. And if you consult just what other people are doing and you allow other people to shape what you end up deciding, you may compare yourself to other people and say, you know what, they have this, I deserve this, therefore I'm going to purchase this. But when you look at God's word and it talks about generosity, maybe that's the next step you're supposed to take instead of just buying something more for yourself. Maybe it's a work decision that you have to make and you're not sure if the next step is right for you. And you know that everyone around you is saying, take this job because it's more money. It's, more it's, a, it's a better title. But you know that it's going to take away from your family and it could hurt you in different ways. Everyone around you is saying, do this. But what if God's word tells you to do something else? You're going to take a next step in your life. Whether you go to God's word or not, why not start by going to God's word, allowing him to illuminate just that next step for you? So you know exactly where you're supposed to go. The psalmist, he goes on and he says that your word is not just a lamp to guide my feet, it's a light for my path. Now this is a little bit different. We were looking at darkness before. How do you see through the darkness? Now this is the light. In fact, that word light can mean anything from bright, clear, day, lightning, morning, sun. This is bright, bright light. And what the psalmist is not just talking about decisions here, he is talking about the path that we are taking. Because we may make decisions every single day, but it may not matter if we're not on the right path. We need to get on the right path. So the question is, how do you know what the right path is for your life? 
Because a lot of times when we're looking at life, there's so many paths that we can take. How do we know which is God's path? Paula and I went to a friend's house for dinner on Friday night. He said he was buying the food, and I said, I will be there. Just tell me the time. Again, it all goes back to food, doesn't it? We go over to their house. There's a, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Bellevue, and we're hanging out at their home, and we're just getting to know each other and each other's families, and we, we start talking about, hey, where do you vacation at? And so they were talking about their vacation, and, and then they start to tell us this hilarious story. They were going somewhere. I don't know exactly where they were, but where they were going, they had to go through the mountains, and they had two paths that they can take. The one that would go on the turnpike, which is pretty much a straight shot, or they can take the scenic route up and down the mountains. The wife said to take the turnpike. It's going to be easier. The husband says, I'm cheap. I want to take the scenic route. Let's go up and down the mountains. They are on this journey with five kids. Yeah, you know where this is going. As they're going up and down the mountains, again, they could have just gone this way, but they're going up and down the mountains. All of a sudden, one of their kids says in the back, I'm not feeling well. Well, I give these guys credit. They drive a lot. Each of them have a bag underneath their kid's seat, so if this were to happen, they could just grab the bag and do their thing. Well, all of a sudden, they hear a kid grabbing the bag and begins to vomit in the plastic bag which is awesome. I was like, dang. I go, you guys are prepared. That's incredible. And then the wife said, oh, there was a hole in the bag. <laughs> and I was like, that is nasty. <laughs> and when they're ending the story, and the husband's like, but hey, I at least saved money. And the wife goes, and at least I was right. <laughs> and I thought about that. There was two different paths they chose this one and end up getting their kids sick. If they would have just gone this path, it may have cost a little bit more, but they probably would have gotten there without having to clean up some vomit. How do you know that you're on the right path? How do you know which path you're supposed to take? Well, God's word tells us it will illuminate the right path that we ought to take. Oftentimes, it's the narrow path. That narrow path is one that is not traveled by many people. Because the wide path, that's the easier path. That's what a lot of people want to get on, but it leads to a dead end. There's a narrow path, Jesus says, that leads to a, a beautiful, broad life. How do you know which one to take? How do you know it's that one? Well, Jesus, he is known in John chapter 1 as the Word. And the Word made his home among us. Which means when you read about God's word in Psalm 119, that word is made flesh. It's right before us on this earth. And we can see exactly what he says to do. And we just follow that. And that's exactly where we need to go. If you get to John chapter 8, Jesus, he's speaking to a group of people. Disciples are there, but also a group of Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day that did not want Jesus to succeed at all. And as he's talking to this crowd about himself, he says this. I... And the light of the world, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, right after he says this, the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, who should have known this was the right answer, but they did not, they end up saying, Jesus, what you're saying, it's wrong. They invalidated what God had to say, but Jesus didn't fight them. 
Jesus didn't defend himself. He just told people who he was. And he said, if you travel this lit up path and you follow me, this is the way that you're supposed to go. What I love about Jesus, he's not going to strong arm anyone to follow him. When you started to follow Jesus, if you followed Jesus in this room, it wasn't some kind of argument that tipped the scale in your favor. You realize that this Jesus has life in him. Not just eternal life when we die, but life here on this earth, a life of purpose and meaning, a life of love and grace and mercy, a life of joy and peace. And you want to follow that. And Jesus said, that is the right path. I will not force you. I'm not going to argue you. But I'm going to show you there's going to be multiple paths that you can take in this world, but only one will truly give life. He will illuminate that path, and you can follow it. It is not going to be the easy path. There are going to be times on this path where we throw up a little bit too. (laughs) But let me tell you, this path, though it may be difficult, it's full of sorrow and full of pain. It will be full of joy and peace and life itself. So how do you know you're on the right path? You know you're on the right path when you're following Jesus, you're craving his word, and you're doing exactly what he says. If you're in this room and you're following a different path, like I said before, I'm so glad that you're here. And my challenge to you is, are you living a life that no matter what is happening around you, inside, you still have peace and joy, and happiness, and fullness, and true life. If not, stop having to grasp around the room to try to find a light switch. God has flicked on the light switch, has showed you exactly where to go. Follow that path. If you're like, I don't know if I can trust him. I know that I can trust someone who lived in heaven and came down to this broken earth, lived the perfect life, and yet died on a cross for our sin, our shame, our guilt, death itself, and then three days later rose to life, not just to give eternal life to us, but to give us a life here so that when I get to the finish line, I can turn around and I can say, this was the right path all along. You are invited to that path. And I will say, if you're a Christ follower on this path and you're already saying, I'm doing that, is God's word still what you crave, and if not, make sure that it is. Make sure you're not just on this path because you're a Christian. Make sure you're alive as a Christ follower. It comes through the nourishment of his word. As we close together, let me give you just a couple next steps to think through. First of all, over the next five weeks, I want us all to ask God to increase our appetite for his word. We ask God, God, oh, I just spilled water on my word. Oh, boy. I know but I didn't spill it on the Manuela cookies, so (laughs) that's good. It doesn't matter if it's wet or dry. God, increase my appetite for this. In the morning, sometimes I don't want to read it. I want to do everything else. God, give me more of an appetite, a desire, a craving for your word. If we pray that through the next few weeks and we enter into Psalm 119 and see what God does in our lives, watch what God can do, not just through us and in us, but outside of the walls through our generosity and our love and our grace for others as well.
The second step is to join us in a 40-day journey through Psalm 119. We're looking at the Dwell app to do that. The Dwell app reads the Bible to you. It's amazing. So it's a free download. You can scan it in your welcome program today. Follow the instructions. Uh, go to the chapel, and you can follow along with Psalm 119. The greatest thing is it's only like 15 or 20 seconds. So you can go back and listen to it over and over again. You can catch up pretty quickly. But to hear God's word and delight in God's word and crave God's word so it continues to shape you to be more and more like Jesus. And finally, join us in memorizing Psalm 119, 105. To make that easy for you to do on your welcome program this morning, there's a QR code that you can scan. It goes to that image and you can save that image to your phone background. I have it on my computer background right now. So when I'm looking at my phone or looking at my computer, I'm seeing this verse and I'm memorizing it and memorizing it and memorizing it because I know if I memorize this verse and I'm thinking about it all the time, it's going to light up my next step and light up my path in general. So as we close together, would you stand with me, and would you recite this passage or this verse together? Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. We're going to make this our prayer. Prayer, say it one more time. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. One more time. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. When you leave, you're going to get a memory card that has it on there. Put it somewhere. Memorize it. And let's allow God's word to lead us. Have a good Sunday.